you're listening to the Tech Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next hour we're going to be talking about all things tech and I'm joined by my fellow presenter, Russ Shaw of Global Tech Advocates and Tech London Advocates, which I got correct today. You did, first time, congratulations. (laughs) I know, well it's not necessarily the first time, Russ. Um, And you're as usual on your travels and um, do you want to give us a little update on on TLA and Global Tech Advocates? Sure. We've got our fifth birthday soon, haven't we? We do, uh, Mm. coming up in just a few weeks on the 19th of April, five-year anniversary of the launch of Tech London Advocates at Here East in Olympic Park. So uh, if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, get on Eventbrite now. Yes, it is going to be at capacity and um, yeah, so and at capacity is normally about six seven hundred people, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. huge. It's really good. Really so good um, yeah, and we don't want to turn anybody away on the day. Strict health and safety rules. So we want to get Just it. Ignore those. <laughs> don't worry about that. Gavin Poole <laughs> from here East doesn't yeah, okay. like it when okay. we do that. Fair so enough. no, all, all good. Thank you. And, and who have we got actually um, at the event itself? So you've got a whole range of people across tech, haven't you? We have you. Oh, am I? <laughs> I don't actually want you, you to. are on one of our panels, no, no, Sue. No, I didn't actually Did want you to mention that. that. Yes. No, no, Come and see that. Sue Nelson. No, um, I'm very excited because yes. uh, Ma- Maggie Philbin's doing the thing. Yeah, see, she, when I was a kid, she's like a icon, Maggie. Her. She's great. So she's going to be moderating one of the panels and we'll talk a little bit about uh, Teen Tech City of Tomorrow, which happens... Uh, I believe, 10 days after the event. And uh, she's just amazing. So we do have investors. We have great tech leaders. We've got quite a few tech unicorns represented. We have um, politicians. I know. We have to have a few of those. People like Chi and Wura, who I think is just terrific. Okay, they're okay. And um, we, we might even manage the mayor of Bogota, who is actually in London at that time. So I've put in a request because we now have... Tech Bogota advocates in the mm. global network. And you won't let me call it Tech Bog, although I'm desperate to. Yeah, Tech <laughs> Bogota. I know you won't. I don't even like that. Um, but that'd be great if we could have that. I mean, that really shows how, how the reach now is huge. Yeah, so Bogota, we've got Paris and Italy also lining up, hopefully within the next three months or so to launch. So we'll keep so you do posted. You just, do you just like pick on destinations that you fancy <laughs> taking your wife to? <laughs> and that's how they get into global Well, actually, tech she's advocates. very annoyed with me because she hasn't been on any of these trips oh, yet. Oh, so, okay. uh, no, or trips I, you fancy going on your own then. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're quick visits. But um, no, it's really driven by people who come to me. So after the tech world tour last november um leaders from paris from milano from tokyo from scotland um basically came and said look we want to try and get a group up and running in our part of the world in Mm. 2018 so um so really it's driven by the leaders in those areas and if they're comfortable with the licensing agreement model and understand the principles of how we want their community to work and it's pretty straightforward Mm. we help them get to launch and then um, right after the launch, we say, okay, now the real fun begins. Yeah. You've got a community You've got to, ma- to manage and, yeah, and absolutely. absolutely crack on. Um, Scotland, yeah. We should, that should have been done ages ago. Come on, Scotland. I know. Hurry Come up. on, Scotland. We yeah. have, we have uh, a young woman who is very enthusiastic about it. She's in the process of kind of reaching into her network across Glasgow, Edinburgh, and um, I know we'll have a lot of interest in it. Um, we haven't set a date specifically with them. Um, what it, they have to get a, a proper entity that can sign the licensing agreement. Yep. So they're working on that now, but I'm sure it's going to be a terrific yeah, group. It'd be great to have Scotland in there. Yes. 
So um, we've got some people in the studio. It's not just us. We do. We do. <laughs> Lots <laughs> right. of good folks. We've we, got yeah. advocates in the studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, jo- I'm joined by Hussein Hilly, who um, is, is, he's got these ama- two amazing things. One's called Boot, which is spelled B-Y-O-O-T. Butte. And Butte. 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 That's it. And, and, and also Scrap. Um, hi, Hussein. How are you doing? Hi, Sue. Don't wince at me. Um, <laughs> yes, Butte. So, yes, B-Y-O-O-T. So we're going to talk about that. And then uh, Anthony Impey, who um, quite, is quite, quite a little bit famous, really, aren't you, Anthony? He's very say. famous. Not as famous say. as Russ. No, no obviously not. I mean, Nobody's as famous as yeah. Russ. No, no. He's an A-lister. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm amazed. I'm amazed he's here, to be honest. Oh, well, you see. I knew you were coming. Such an international jet set guy. I I thought the red carpet was for me. No, we have to, we have to fit around his blooming itinerary. Um, so, Anthony, uh, we're, we're going to talk about loads of stuff, um, in, including the, the work you're involved in with digital skills. But um, Optimity is probably the thing that you're most famous for, I Indeed. would say. I would say. Um, we're also joined by Amanda Carpenter, who actually wasn't invited and just decided to <laughs> gatecrash. Um, so, nice to see you, Amanda. Thank you, <laughs> um, From Akil Management. But but really, the, the, the sort of sustainability side um, is, is, is sort of what you're involved in. You're involved in loads of different things yeah. um, so it'd be great to have your take on, on some of the work that Hussein's doing I think Good. So should we, yeah so should we start with you Hussein now um, there's been a lot in the news in the last few months about affordable housing um, not enough houses for people in the UK a lot of nimbyism going on saying you know yes I really want young people to have houses and people to have affordable housing but can you just not have it around the corner from me um, which obviously causes everybody um, a problem um, and but it's quite a complicated issue and it's to do with planning permission and councils and all sorts of other things going on um, uh, but you've got a, a, a very interesting sort of model that you've you've come up with can, can you just describe what your company's doing because because you're keen to, to, to try and help with this problem um, definitely keen to try and help with this model. Mm. Uh, primarily, the business is design and build. So we reach out mainly to homeowners and to developers, making it easy for them to build their homes, uh, making it simple for them to build their homes, um, and uh, essentially digitizing the process to make it all simple. Yeah. And, and by that you mean, so somebody, so my brother builds houses, I don't know why, yeah. I don't know why, because we both brought up the same, but he decided to build them. Um, and, and, you know, he's he's had a couple of sort of plots where he's built it from scratch, he's just got you know, a piece of land, or he's gone into a house which has literally been derelict and, and, you know, he's taken on that project. Um, now he's, he'll get in a electrician and he'll get in, you know, blah, blah, blah. and then if there's stuff that he can do, he tries to do that himself probably gets a project manager in most of the time because you do need somebody to understand the whole thing. But what elements of, do you actually deal with for, for somebody like my idiot brother? Yeah. <laughs> so we project manage it from end to end. So right. all the way from plans to finish. Um, we do it in several ways. We have most mostly in-house um, mm. and we take someone across the journey rather than going try and outsource electricians, um, general builders, carpenters. It's all provided all in. Because um, I think is, most people don't really know where to go and no, where to start. And, and, and you don't know what the standard is or the quality. Exactly. Whoever you so use. Uh, there, there are so many various pain points uh, within this sector. One is that um, there isn't really a standard way of doing things. So maybe how your brother does it is very different to how some Can guy down the road is, does yeah. it. <laughs> um, and that's, that's the same across the board. It's uh, very fragmented. It's uh, saturated and things aren't. Um, there, there aren't great processes. There aren't. There isn't a general standard. Pricing is completely off. 
Um, and, and it feels like you have to be very brave to go and build your own house. So my, my, you know, obviously, you know, my brother's done it before and he knows what he's doing, you know, but it's a lot of hard work and, you know, it's a pain managing everybody and doing whatever. What, what I think is really interesting with what you're doing is it shouldn't be. And actually, it's well within the bounds of just no- normal, in inverted commas, people to be able to build their own house, right, exactly. should they choose to, if they've got this nice framework to work within. So um, one of the other bigger problems that everyone faces is that you're parting with a lot of money. Mm. Um, you know, we're talking potentially, potentially hundreds of thousands that you're spending on your extensions, on your uh, on your new build, whatever it is. Um, not everyone is... Uh, you know, a full-on grown property developer or someone who's built units across the country. Um, most people are doing it for the first time and have no idea where to start. And really, that's where uh, the term cowboy builder comes from. That's why you hear loads of stories of people running away with the money um, and things not being done properly, things half done. And really, because uh, until very recently, we've not really been able to hold people accountable. And this is where technology comes into it. So technology allows us to hold uh, the client accountable. It allows us to hold the service provider accountable. It allows us to control subcontractors. It allows us to maneuver subcontractors if need be. Is, is that because it's be- because it becomes absolutely transparent? Exactly. So, so, so you, you know, you can upload your plans. You can upload exactly. the spec. You can yep. upload the design. So everybody can see that. Then you could say, right, Mr. Electrician, you're in there for this little four-day window, mm-hmm. and so and so's in on you know the fifth day. Exactly. But then the electrician doesn't turn up since you know until Thursday or something, and then everybody knows it's that right. person. Right. Exactly. And so if you've done it yourself, you're now stuck. You're going to have to go, and this is an extra added cost. It's uh, delay. It's time lags. If you've got a bridge finance, then you're delaying that as well. You're paying extra interest, d- depending on what your situation is. But all in all, it makes things a lot more complicated. Essentially, you're paying a bit of, potentially a bit more of a premium. Sometimes it's not even premium. Sometimes you're saving money mm. by just going, doing it all in one place. Um, and it's just streamlining the process, uh, allowing people to be able to have access to exactly what's going on. And also, more than anything, to be able to build their home remotely. Um, so to be on the other side of the world, to be in Australia and to have peace of mind. Um, I don't think I'd build a house if I was in Australia and it was over here. But anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll take no, your point. I was just to say, how scalable is your model? Because the whole house building process, the way we've been talking about it, is is it's a, often a very bespoke process. So what value are you bringing into the process and how can you really turn this into something much larger, if that's indeed what you yeah, want to so, do? Um, we have a uh, twofold model. One is that we have the in-house builders. Mm-hmm. So we have around 30 builders on our payroll. And we also have a huge number of subcontractors who work directly with us. So they don't work under their own brand. They work under the Butte brand. Mm-hmm. And that's very important because at the end of the day, if, if they do do a runner, we're still there. And this is the main thing. Um, and that can be scaled because mm-hmm. you can have subcontractors right across the country, right across the world. And... Uh, and do it in that way. And again, going back to the point of being able to do it from wherever, mm. is that so long as you are aware, aware are aware of the process, 
you don't really need to be involved. But, but do, do you not think, though, that most people who are thinking of building a house probably don't because they, they can't envisage the whole thing holistically and how all those bits fit together? That's, how, that's what I would struggle with. Yeah, exactly. With. So, Whereas this allows you to literally understand exactly what happens from start to finish as opposed to getting to the next bit and going, oh, yeah, I probably do need some plug sockets. Exactly. You know, or, or, you know, or whatever and, it is. But and this is, this is actually a really important point because obviously we, we were continuously tweaking the product, especially from both the design and the build side. So one is how much do you ask before giving someone the choice of what they're designing? Yeah, um, too much information might, might completely much, yeah, drown. Exactly. And, then, and, and then on the flip side, when they're actually building the, you know, the, the, end, the end process, so the second fixed items, these things they're not really sure of. Do I choose white paint? Do I choose magnolia? Mm. You know, if, if you say, oh, I'll leave it to you, in ordinary instance, someone will come, they'll paint the house white. Uh, say, but that's not the colour I wanted. I say, yeah, yeah, but you didn't really You said you weren't say, bothered. Yeah. yeah, you said, you didn't say, no, no, I am bothered. Of course yeah. I'm bothered. It's yeah. aesthetics. Absolutely. Um, so, so, so you provide, provide this whole solution. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to work through each bit with you, if that's okay. Yeah. So, so say, say uh, you know, I've got sort of Amanda's background. I'm very keen on, on having an incredibly eco-friendly house as much as I can. Mm-hmm. So I know the legislation's actually quite clear at the moment and, and in, a, in a good way, but you might want to go even further than that. How do you how do you specify that with, with with you and say I know that's your standard thing but I want these extra yeah know, the, the way we do it is there's a standardized cost and then everything else that you're looking for bespoke is just an add-on essentially which is I guess how maybe it's not always it hasn't always been done this way so you'd say oh I'm, I'm looking for X Y and Z oh that's going to cost you a lot more. Um, whereas if you kind of give them the bog standard, I think most people are actually quite happy with the standard. Mm. Um, but then you tell them, look, if you add X on, it's this price. If you add Y on, it's this price. But it's just about being able to see if you want eco-friendly, if you want grass on your roof, if you want if you want these <gasps> things. Can you have grass on your roof? You That's can. You can brilliant. have anything you want. And this is the thing. There isn't, there is, you know, there, there is no roof or no ceiling, but yeah, there yeah, obviously yeah. technically is. But there isn't really. You can keep going. Um, and, and, and that's up to the customer. And then presumably then underneath that, the system will say, you, you've chosen grass on your roof, Nelson, but you know you can't have that type of stuff underneath that. You've exactly. then got to have yeah. this, you've then got to have that exactly. know, to, to, to accommodate all those things. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't get the wrong stuff underneath. Um, so, so you've got your plan, you've got your specs, you've got your design, um, and then I presume you get a quote based on that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we're working really hard on attempting to generate a quote as quickly as possible, as accurately as possible. So at That's the moment you get a general quote um, as accurately as possible in terms of uh, our current stage in, in the tech process. But as you pick up more data, as you understand all the different costs, all, all the inputs of different materials, all the different specs that different clients have, so you essentially will get smarter. Yeah, you have a budget of 100 grand and you find out it's going to cost you 500. That's probably quite normal. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have data analysts that are looking at this information, evaluating it, crunching it. How is that part of your We're not at model? that stage yet, okay. but we're getting to that stage. Okay. So that's And so what will that look like? What so will you so do? this is it's it's all it's all it's like building a house as well. Okay. This is this is quite a complicated process mm. because a lot of it is physical. So how do you transform something that's physical into something that's tech based? Yes. So it's essentially taking the, so, you know, we started off with people going to people's houses, they'd review it and they'd say, oh, well, I'm going to draw the plans for you now. And they'd sit down and they'd actually draw the plans. But now everything's done digitally mm. and you receive the plans online and you, you, you can get a quick cost on, on, your, on your plans and on your design. Perfect. And slowly, slowly, 
you know, we're, we're moving. Um, you know, it's the, the way I see it, and I, I keep going back to this, is take the end point. Let's say the end point is you being in Australia and mm-hmm. being able to build your home remotely. What does that look like? What is it that you require to be able to see and to have the trust and to be comfortable with being able to do that from the other side of the world whilst you're there the whole time and you come back and it's completely done in, in a way where you're actually quite satisfied. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Imagine that. Um, <laughs> and that roadmap essentially is taking it so that you get enough information, all the right bits of information, but also you present them with um, at the beginning. So in terms of the quote, what I was saying is that the, the more information obviously you get, the, the, better, yeah. the, the, the better that they'll be able to get priced at the beginning. So they may not like the price at all. But if you give them a detailed breakdown, you know, within, let's say, three minutes, tick X, all these yeah. boxes, uh, tick, 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 tick. No, nope, don't want that, don't want that. Here's your quote. Mm. Okay, this is interesting. I'm happy to proceed ahead. And then you go ahead and uh, so this process needs to get smarter as we ahead. go along. So we've got yeah. all that, we've got all that in front of us. Um, then you go, right, I, I love all that. Right, we start building now. Yeah. Uh, uh, so they can presumably do some of that building themselves or use some of your vetted tradespeople or, again, it's we'll literally a mix and match we'll or do the whole they package, can do the whole yeah. thing. Or do no, you we'll, only do the only We'll only do the whole package. So you yeah. won't let them, you know, wander no. in and muck it all up? No. 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 <laughs> Just look at his face. No, definitely not. <laughs> okay, well, that makes more sense. So so you're totally in control. Yeah, um, exactly. So that's good. And, and hence why you've got people on payroll as, exactly. as, as yeah well so as a lot of them are project managers yeah so um being able to go to different sites managing the different projects and overseeing them um and, and when it comes to having a piece of land presumably somebody's got to already had planning exactly. permissions yeah. and all that do, again do you do, they, do, they, guys they, do that? we do yeah. planning permission as well yeah um, but it's you know there's only so much that can be digitized yeah yeah sure and, and what is the situation at the moment i mean a lot of councils are saying you know that they're trying to have trying to release more land and obviously you know people get upset about that you know in some respects but we've got to have places for people to live um you know is, is it easy to get planning permission at the moment if I think you're it's, sensible? it's been relaxed over the last few years it definitely has people are they actually want people to build more so um, building on so relaxed on more so encouraging people to build on their own existing homes rather okay. than necessarily build on land. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if 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 there's a good opportunity to house build on on a certain piece of land, then of course uh, the council are are for it in the case where it, it helps. Yeah, and I think the most area of us, and um, you know existing. do believe if you can build on brownfield site, obviously that's a much better thing to do um, yeah. than 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 churn up the countryside. Amanda, have you got any views on... Because it's complicated, isn't it? Yeah. Do you find that actually having the tech process drives the cost down or does it increase the cost? Because usually tech results in things being cheaper, medium to long term. Is that what you envisage? The the idea is to get it cheaper. So less less about um, necessarily completely being price sensitive, but more about being aware of pricing. So understanding what it costs. I mean, putting up steel in... Norfolk or in London is still putting up steel um, and building the, the frame and the box is going to be a similar type of thing as well. Um, mm. okay. there's, there's only so, it's just about understanding and it's helping the customer understand that because this is, for a lot of people, it's the biggest investment they're going to make. So so some people, will, they'll buy their house, they'll put a deposit of £100,000, but then they'll spend £150,000 building it. Um, so in terms of the sure. investments that they make. Yeah, this, is, this is massive. Yeah. Yeah. 
And what about the sustainability aspect? I mean, I live in a Canadian eco-home, actually, Excellent. which came flat-packed from Good Canada. <laughs> Where do you live? <laughs> Outer Hebrides? Or? No, I live in Kent, ah. our deepest suburban Kent. Um, so have you got sustainability built into your supply chain? Are you working with sustainable contractors? And You don't have to answer that. You don't have to answer no, that. No, I'm only joking. Uh, no comment. Given, given that, you know, more and more of us are really what? concerned about this stuff now. Yeah. So... We are, we are trying to become more and more eco-friendly, obviously, um, across the supply chain. So obviously the different and relevant part of the supply chain, you try and uh, cater towards becoming more eco-friendly on, on that existing part. But you'd only be building bespoke, so you wouldn't be built because a lot of the, the new sustainable building is around kit homes. So they're coming flat pack like mine. Or yeah, they're coming exactly. in even more, you know, almost sort of build over over a fortnight type of stuff. So would you be doing any of that or is it all bespoke, designed? It tends to be more bespoke. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 bespoke to a level. So, again, it's, it's same timber, same steel, um, and same type of frame. It's the same type of plywood mm. that it gets applied to the floors. And um, it, it's it's standard to a point, and then it's bespoke according to the tastes of the client. And that's okay, so it's higher end. It's not kind of affordable housing, is it? It's no. The, really, in the sense that, you know, a lot of those sustainable homes are designed to be much more affordable, aren't they? But I think what, affordable I think in the sense that you're saying it's packaged, put on a land and, yeah. and, and but to I buy. I think my point is that, that a lot of people do want to expand, don't they? Their mm. own homes. And, and, and it's, it's so expensive to move, isn't it? I mean, it is ridiculously expensive. Um, you know, and if well, you that's why they've relaxed that, it. So, so that people yeah. can apply yeah. for planning permission, get their loft conversion done, get mm. their extension at the back done. Yeah. But there are, there are a lot of companies now, aren't there, that, 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 are, that are doing these sort of almost kit homes. You yeah, know, they're really cool. Yeah, uh, actually, because yeah. they're, they're packaging them in factories and yeah. bringing them over to land. Here and you then go, just stand yeah, like, like a car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you help with that as well? <laughs> no, no, this is no. not going um, and, and so, if we go back to, to, to what you're doing then, so, yep. so say I've got a, you know, I've, I've got a little bit of land. Um, seems like I can build on it or whatever. Do, do people come with you these, these crazy ideas or do you say, actually, this would look rather good here and somebody wants some ridiculous thing that you know won't work? How do you um, Yeah, they obviously do come with ridiculous ideas. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you read the spec and you're like, okay, no, it's not going to happen. Um, but you advise as much as possible. And this is where I said that you, it's it's having that whole, it's it's an ecosystem because for it to work, this is a very physical process and you need to make sure that it's all streamlined bit by bit. It's not going to happen overnight. It's making sure that the customer service happens very well. And that means the specific person who deals with that with, with that specific customer and then the project manager is dealing with that specific project mm. or the site manager who's on who's on site and the foreman and project managers who are who are looking over it and when it comes all together and everyone talks and communicates together and the technology speaks up it's really that's when the magic happens yeah and and and, and again you've got uh, dashboards and things so that, so that people can go and they can look at exactly where they are who's gone in where what they're doing yeah. and they're absolutely kept up to speed on yeah. the process as you say they literally can be in australia and they can actually exactly. see what, so that's see what's that's, going on. that's all being built at the moment on, on, a, on a very quick and heavy basis and we're just trying to roll out as much of it as possible customer by customer yeah. so essentially testing out with because not everyone's receptive to it I'm like well i just just do it i don't i don't really care about paying via and you know this paying um people like to pay cash in hand some people like and we're just trying cash. to get rid of it trying to get rid of it right uh, okay very good yeah and and then when when it's all done and and, the, and somebody gets their keys or, or yep. it's an extension or whatever um uh obviously there's some building control sign off exactly. presumably yep. that, that all gets done what yep. about your snagging list now come on we've all moved into a new house yep, and, so you get and a then, guarantee and you 
you flag up your snag list, then you come back and you you send everyone back to come fix it. And they arrive. And this is what, where are you are you going to be around for fifteen years? Are you going to be around for five yeah. years? Are you going to be around for till tomorrow? Yeah. Um, and this is the trust uh, and and the brand building that comes into it. Would you do it, Ross? Would you if you had a bit of land? Would you? You know, yeah, use, well, what I'm curious about is in yeah. being being a Londoner. Um, you know, the whole loft extension, or what can you do? You know, you don't have many places to go unless you wanted to move out and start from scratch. So, yep. you know, having gone through a loft extension and built a rebuilt a garage and all that kind of stuff, I think this sounds wonderful because it usually falls to my lovely wife Leslie to project manage this whole thing from end to end and. It is a nightmare. It is horrible. You know, and one piece of it goes dramatically wrong and everything gets scuppered up. So if you've got a technology solution that can take you through this step by step, if you can see the big picture and understand, well, I can save save time and effort here. That's fantastic. And even things like snagging lists, that's great because it's still... But the real thing for me is that, 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 you know, they know all the craftsmen and they are not going to allow somebody who's a, who's a not very good electrician to come and do your stuff because it affects your reputation. Better, exactly. yeah. And that for me is the biggest draw, I think, is, 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 is you've got all these people working on it and you know it's going to be okay. And yeah. if it's not, you, you've got but somebody but to also, go to. You exactly. know, if and, it, and, if, and if the wall was built wrong, knock it down and build it again. Hmm. There you go. Oh. I think it's quite good. There you yeah. go. So you're going to try it out on your property? Yeah, I might do. <laughs> Get your brother to do it. Oh, God, no, I definitely wouldn't let him do it, you see. No, not, no definitely not. Um, and, and you're also involved with something called Scrap. So so what is that? So Scrap is in Stealth Beta. It's due to launch literally over the next two weeks. Have you not got enough to do? Uh <laughs> With your other business, no, it's something else that you want to do as well. Yeah. I'm actually quite passionate about this. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, so a bit of background about it. It's uh, waste collection on demand. So uh, one of the problems that we saw directly from the business was because we build on various sites on Butte, we found that when we wanted to order a skip hire, it was a bit of a nightmare trying to find mm. the right price uh, and trying to find the right supplier. And if you don't you have a trade account... Put the skip in the road, can you? You have to get permission. Exactly. And, oh, but even awful. if you wanted it on the drive, yeah, it's still finding the right supplier in the area. Where do you look? You have to spend time, sit down, research. Was the price right? Um, and we just thought this is this is a great uh, potential opportunity. Uh, so as an offshoot of the of the company, we created Scrap, uh, and Scrap amalgamates the waste market. So bringing together all the different skip hire companies and uh, grab hire companies uh, to serve the construction sector so there's it's a, it's a huge market uh huge market. and do you do it just in time so that like you turn up people put stuff in a skip and then they take it away as opposed to it being there for three weeks and then all the neighbors will jump in all their stuff in there yeah exactly. and you're paying for it so it's actually a 14-day auto-generated collection which is uh basically there are hundreds of pain points that i, I can go into detail with but i'll give you a few uh one is that the skip companies themselves some of them have three thousand skips everywhere and they have no idea where some of them are they might have <gasps> thousand skips they don't even know about um you know they've, they've been delivered some of them they just stayed on site just in some some land random place random brownfield yeah. where they just delivered it and didn't hear Forgotten about back it. From it um i thought they were microchipping them now skips to stop that happening i thought there was a new campaign to quick, do that quicker solution we've got we've got the app which we know where, where they're being delivered say, to. They would, rather than trying to microchip every single uh you know actual skip um We'll tr- we be- we're able to track everything yeah. that, that goes wherever. Uh, and so this, you know, brings in obviously more supplies into the economy. It allows more people to come into work. 
um, more flexible working as well. Um, and the the app works in a very similar way to how, uh, let's say, Uber would work in terms of press the button and it arrives on your... Except yours set. don't travel quite so fast, do they? Yours well, so on, on demand, is uh, we, we've set an hour time limit. So, wow. Yeah, wow. so we're trying to bring on as many suppliers as possible at the moment. Uh, so if any of your listeners are Uber skips, for skips. It's brilliant fantastic. idea. It's fantastic. just brilliant. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Uber for skips. Hello, my name's Anthony. I'm just yeah. around the corner. I'm just going to get yours, you know. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> exactly. Brilliant. Um, and, and one of the other other problems is that the, the pricing, again, it's it's saturated. It's huge. We're talking £5 billion worth of transactions that come from the, the annual turnover of the skip skip, skip companies and of the of the construction company. So they have about five billion pounds worth of oh. waste that gets collected, but everything's at a different price. So everyone's paying a different price. Someone, so when you want your waste collected from, uh, you know, when a, sk- a skip supplier in, in East London comes to collect in West London, they add about 50 pounds. Um, and that doesn't make sense. Does no, it? It's Let's just, and, and actually we spoke to a company in Kent um, and they were like, yeah, we come into, we come into London. We do about, we do about five delivery, five skip deliveries a day. And we're like, what? Are you come in from Kent every day? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we add our price uh, and we schedule them in and we try and bring in as many as possible so that it's worth our journey because obviously they're adding fuel cost. Um, and so you, you need it locally. You yeah, need, that's rubbish, isn't it? There, there are thousands of companies. Why don't you have them locally? Mm. I mean, good idea. That is a very good idea. So um, that's Hussein Hilly of uh, Butte that I can't pronounce properly, but I have just pronounced it properly. Um, and that's B Y O T co.uk so if you are thinking of doing an extension if you're thinking of you know looking at any of that and you want it under control but you're not going to do it yourself um definitely worth having a look and if you need a skip and if you need to skip download the app so the the app goes live to the google play store uh, hopefully in two weeks there you go Excellent. Excellent. Um, we're going to just have a little break and then we're going to talk to Anthony Impey of um, Optimity. Looking forward to that. See you in a minute. You've joined us at a very good time. Oh, yeah. Yes. Our savvy software development guys have just qualified for a chunky government cash payout thanks to our new friends from Breakthrough Funding. Yeah. Sorry, that just slipped out. Government handout. No, not a handout, but recognition for our clever thinking. Now it'll be down to you to help us kick it further forward. Leave it to me. Your company could qualify for Innovation Cash too. Find out online now by answering just six qualifying questions at BreakthroughFunding.com. Yeah! So welcome back to the Tech Talk show. We're in the studio. We've just been talking about Uber for Skips, which I'm very excited by, because uh, we're joined by Hussein Hilly and also his uh, other company, which is Butte. Um, also Amanda Carpenter from Ake Hill Management uh, to do with all things sustainable. And now we're going to talk to Anthony Impey of Optimity. And Russ, uh, you know Anthony quite well, don't you? Yeah, we go way back, I think. Do you know what I was thinking? Years. I think I might be in the top 100 first Tech London advocates. I think you are way back really? in 2013. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it's five years. You know, it's a shame <laughs> that we didn't get a number when we joined. I know. Did you? I didn't get a number. I have your number. Oh, have you? <laughs> Mine's probably 10,047. But no, be, no, so you're, you're in the top 10, I'm sure. No, I'm not. No, she's not. She I'm quite a late, I'm a late developer, Anthony. I'm a late developer. Um, so so uh, just, just talk to us a little bit about Optimity. Why are you doing this sort of pioneering wireless technology? Explain how wireless 
infrastructure works at, right at this point in time? How, how does it work? So, so we came across it actually completely by accident. Um, and when, um, when we started Optimity, we were in the business of looking after people's computers and their telephones and supplying all those services. And uh, we were approached one day by a client that was moving into an office quite close to us and they needed a, a fibre optic connection, um, but they needed to move in with two weeks notice. So very, very short lead time. But we knew that we couldn't get f uh, fibre optic into their office. It was something like a three, three month lead time Is at the time. Is that because it's BT? Uh, it's just because putting any uh, fibre But what I meant was because you have to go through BT. Is it, BT. You have to go through that system. Yeah, and BT. that's what or, slows it down. Yeah, yeah, BT or Virgin or yeah. um, Colt or maybe Verizon. We come along, dig up the road and put fibre optic into the ground. And, Which, and to be it, fair, you can't do in two weeks. Yeah, Nobody I mean, can do that. It's time consuming. Yeah. Um, and um, while the telecoms companies, the big telecoms companies, don't necessarily help themselves, at the same time, um, you get to, you've got to get permissions from local authorities. If you're on a red route or near to a bus stop, you need to get permission from TfL. Um, sometimes your fibre optic connection goes from one local authority to another local authority and that God. causes delays. And, and I've known people who've had to wait for 12 months for their fibre optic to be connected into their, their building. Um, so, so going back to this, this particular example, a client approached us, they needed to move into their office in two weeks. There was no way we could get fibre optic into their building. Um, and so, but we knew they were close to our office. So we um, sneaked up onto our roof of our building and, and put an antenna on the roof of our building, put a rooftop on this new client's building and we created our first wireless link. And uh, it was transformative for the business because we had fixed one of the big problems that all our clients had, which was uh, they needed connectivity, broadband connectivity. Um, but most businesses can't wait three or four months in order to have their... Can't wait three weeks, three no, or four exactly. months. So, so in essence, then, you, you have a, a big antenna on the top of your building mm. and then you allow the, the client, in essence, to connect to that. Yeah, in fact, it's a, it's a very small antenna. So the, yeah. the antennas we use are about a, um, 120 millimetres square. So very, very small. We put one on, uh, one on the client's building, it connects over and it does exactly the same job as if you had a fibre optic so why are we digging the roads up again then? Well, people love the technology that they know. Uh, and I think, you know, people know about fibre optic and they kind of think they understand it. And so there is a, a tendency to use what you know. Um, all our services, we supply all our services to businesses at the moment. And so business customers tend to be quite um, risk averse. They don't like trying new stuff. Um, and so um, certainly that was the, the problem that we had when we first started deploying this technology is that there was a, a degree of resistance. People liked the idea of the technology and we would get so far discussing the technology and then they'd come to us and say, we like what you're doing with the, with the fixed wireless technology, um, but actually we want fibre optic. Uh, actually, that's beginning to change now and businesses are much keener to use new technology. Well, what's the risk with, with, with using yours though? Is there any risk? I mean, we've got dedicated fibre optic into, into the building that I, you know, mm. I work from because... We wanted it to be the fastest we could possibly have, and I didn't think there was any alternative. I thought that was the alternative. That well, was it, the only choice. Sorry, yeah. not so, so in terms of the technology, and we, and we call the technology WIBER, as in wireless and fibre words joined together. Um, and um, when, we, when we developed the WIBER technology, we made sure that it did uh, exactly the same job as fibre optic. So it's as fast as um, fibre optic in terms of performance, uh, it's got a, a slightly better service level availability. So this is the amount of time uh, a connection is is always available for you to use. 
Um, but the most important thing is, is that because we don't have to dig up the roads, it's cheaper for the end user than fibre optics. And because we don't have to dig up the roads, you don't have these huge long lead times. So at the moment in London, if you want a fibre optic connection, it takes four months to on average, to get a fibre optic connection. But what about when we building? had the, uh, the the really bad snow a couple of months ago? Yep. Um, you know, what about bad weather? Is, you know, what can affect what you do? Or uh, you actually, know, the, the, the feeling is, oh, well, it's under the ground, like nothing can touch that. You know, so so it's like oh, it's safe. Yeah, it's all buried there and it's secure and you know. So in my head, that's what I that's what I sort of try and associate with it. Yeah. Whereas if it's up in the air, it's like oh, a pigeon might land on it, or you know, it might snow. Yeah. Was uh, that so, affected? Or? So, certainly, ten years ago. Uh, there was all sorts of problems with weather conditions and, and if a pigeon flew in front of the antennas, uh, it would <laughs> go in it. one side and, and be mildly cooked as it went through the beam. Um, but actually, that's uh, radio technology has changed out of all recognition over the last 10 years. Uh, and so actually during um, the, um, the snowstorms of, uh, from beasts from the east, uh, we had no connections that we lost during that period of time. So actually, the technology is very, very high performance. And in fact, I think the best... Um, best testimony for what we do is uh, Google Fibre, which is a, a three billion pound startup that Google have in North America. Um, I love that. Yeah, they just sink three billion into it and they call it a startup. Um, and, and essentially it's to put, uh, to connect um, uh, buildings up uh, across North America. Uh, and they started putting fibre into the ground and found that it just took too long and was too expensive and so started using very similar technology to the technology we use in order to deliver that service in North America so um, I always like to think that when Google copy you you know you're doing something right and there are any issues with contention at all the more customers you put on because it's a wireless technology do you have any issues around that or is it because it's fiber it's plenty of capacity well, you can I, put many customers on no, I think the, the point you make is, is really good. And, and contention, just, just so everybody knows, contention is the uh, thing that you get with broadband sometimes. Yes. So sometimes broadband works really, really fast. And then different times of day, it works really, really slow. And it's to do with how the networks build their networks in order to really give you know, the, the lowest price point to the consumer. Um, actually, the way our network works means that it's always fast all the time. So you mm. don't have this issue of, some days it works really fast and some days it doesn't. Actually, the way we, we build the networks is it's always, always blindingly fast. But Anthony, so what's your, your business problem then is convincing people it's okay? Because like, I didn't understand that. I just thought, well, if it's on top of a building, it's just, it can't, you know, it just doesn't feel like it can be as protected or as, you, you know, as, as secure. Not, not, not in a data sense, but, you know, physically. Um, because if something's buried under the ground, it's, it can't be touched. So is that just, it's just perception that you've got to overturn? Our, our big job is really to educate business buyers about how the technology works and to really reassure them that it's a it's a very very reliable technology and i think you know there's and again it comes back to people will buy what they know and so you know very often when i'm talking to my team i say that you know our biggest competitor is fiber optics mm -hmm. as a as a technology because everybody knows it and they they're familiar with it and the bottom line is, is that fibre optic is a very old technology. It's an old-fashioned mm. technology. And coming back to your question earlier, Sue, about why do people bother digging up the road, I think that's, that's precisely the point. We've got a, a big problem, particularly in London, with uh, connectivity and this huge lead time that businesses have to wait if they want to connect to their buildings. 
and and wireless is a is a very powerful way to help help fix a big part of that problem. And have you encountered any issues or challenges about getting into antennas on rooftops? Because I know people are a bit precious about their buildings and providing access, etc. Have you encountered much of that? Yeah, I, th- I think it's um, there is sometimes a problem with putting mm-hmm. antennas on rooftops, and uh, the reason for it uh, is to do with um, some legislation that's in place that actually protects mobile phone masts. Yes. Uh, and so uh, a mobile phone operator, if they have their equipment on a rooftop, they, um, their, their place on the rooftop is protected. So if the developer wants to add a few sl- stories on top of the building, the mobile operator can, can object to it and actually delay the development of a, of a rooftop. And, and developers don't like that at all, understandably. Um, and so what we do is we, uh, in fact, give a, almost an, in- well, it's essentially an indemnity to all our clients to say, actually, if you want to redevelop the rooftop, we'll move our equipment and we won't use this piece of legislation to block you developing it. So the, I think there's a, I think the mobile networks have kind of created a bad reputation amongst some landlords, mm. but, but we're, we're, we, you know, we, we've got no interest in blocking development. Our network is, is very dispersed and we can connect people from lots and lots of different directions. You can just get some of Hussein's, you know, grass roof up there. Exactly. Look nice, actually. Exactly. You can have little, little, you know, antennas that look pretty up there. I quite like yeah. the idea of grass-covered antennas. Yeah. Grass, grass is a bit old hat now. It's rubble. Rubble roofs is what you want. So rubble sure roofs. You can cover an antenna yeah. with rubble. Sounds like Flintstones. Yeah. I, I thought it was sedum. Yeah, or sedum, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Grass is like rust. Yeah. This would work brilliantly in a city, but how would this work out of a city? I mean, say rural areas where you've got, you know, diverse population, you know, widespread. Yeah, and so how close does a, your building antenna have to be to the to the client, I guess, is the same mm. question. So so for our network, we um, the two antennas need to be uh, no more than three kilometres apart. So it works very, very well in dense urban environments. However, having said that, uh, there are other wireless technologies that work equally well in remote locations. And this is a big problem at the moment for the government and the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, because they, there's, there's about um, three or four percent of the country that still doesn't have adequate broadband um, connection. An a- absolute national disgrace, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's parts, to be fair, there's parts of parts of London which lack adequate broadband yeah. connection. But, but, you know, there are, um, there's areas um, in Lincolnshire, for example, where actually businesses cannot locate because there's not adequate broadband connection and uh, in those areas actually wireless is a very very viable alternative to uh, putting cable in the ground because if you think about it when you put cable in the ground you have to dig trenches and 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 that it's, it's is archaic, just very costly really it's archaic yeah, exactly whereas and, and, actually mobile technology is beginning to be so developed now yeah. you can travel these long distances so, so in a rural community you'd have one kind of you know parent mast effectively would you that's probably the wrong wrong That's term. A, a daddy mask. A daddy mask. And then all all the other kind of um, connections on people's rooftops or on you know sheds or barns or whatever. Yeah, is that how it would work? It it, it varies. So so there's a, an announcement um, in the last few months uh, from the Church of England, which said that they were allowing radio equipment to go into the, um, yeah. the spires and masks, which by the way is very difficult to do, and I don't mm. quite know how they're going to do it. But anyway, the plan is to put Sounds radio good. equipment on the roof roofs of churches and then connect that into the surrounding areas. And those, those churches might be connected with a fibre-optic connection in order to distribute the signal in the, in the immediate area. Or it could be connected with a, a long-range radio connection from a church spire mm. in, the, in the 
neighbouring village or neighbouring town. We've we've had um, quite a few guests um, in the in in the last few weeks. Been talking about uh, connect, connectivity and whatever, and, and quite a few of them are saying, you know, broadband is not necessary. You know, you know, why are we still thinking that that's going to be necessary? And actually, because Wi-Fi technology is getting better and better and better, and we haven't even got 5G yet, um, surely that that is going to be somewhat redundant. And actually what will happen is, you know, you'll get your wireless charging as you're wandering through, um, but also your, your, your signals will, will, will be the same, that they'll just be everywhere, dotted everywhere, and people wander in and out of, of picking up their signals. Um, is that the vision that you would see of the future? Well, I think certainly if you look at um, the 5G future that a lot of the mobile operators talk about, you'll have your mobile device and that mobile device will have one gigabit, both sending and receiving. And so you, you'll have these supercharged That's per devices. second. Yeah, exactly. <coughs> yeah. Um, the, the challenge is, is that whether it's 5G technology or ultra-fast Wi-Fi technology, you still need to get a signal to a base station that broadcasts that signal. And the, um, the law of physics say that the faster the connection to your device, the closer you have to be to that particular uh, antenna that's broadcasting yeah. the signal. So, so uh, And this is a big challenge to the mobile networks because for them to um, build out their 5G networks, they have to increase the number of base stations, I think by a factor of 10 times. So 5G networks are these very, very dense networks that require lots of rooftops to to put their mobile equipment. And that's very, very expensive, both in terms of the equipment and renting lots of rooftop space. So uh, while 5G, I think, in, in the future will be transformative to how you get your internet connection, I th still think we're quite a long way from getting that kind of ubiquitous coverage uh, across across the country, across central London. I think it's going to be mm. some time before that happens. Um, and what about this sort of development with the sort of unmanned planes that are going to be circling the globe, bouncing you know, signals off for us. Did you see that? Is that just fanciful? No, no, some really exciting stuff. There's mm. the planes, there's the hot air balloons by Facebook, and uh, my my favourite and probably the most formidable challenge to the sector is the low-level uh, satellites being launched by Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's lots and lots of development in this space. And I think it all goes back to this root problem that across um, major cities, across... Um, non-urban areas there's this huge problem with connectivity across across the world uh, and all these different technologies help create this kind of ecosystem of different different services that mean that actually if you're in the middle of the country in the middle of the countryside or right in the city center you're still getting a high performance connectivity because it makes more sense if the connectivity is from the air than than some mast where you've got a knot spot yeah. Because because you live somewhere and there's a hill or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't make sense, does it, to, to, to keep building those, but actually looking at alternative ways of producing. That. Exactly. The, the only challenge is, is that as you go up into the atmosphere, it's just more difficult to send a signal from the ground to higher up, a uh, higher altitude. Uh, and so certainly that's been the challenge with satellite broadband, is that you need a lot of power to get a signal from... You know, we're, we're on the 33rd floor of a building here and even to get a signal from here to a low level satellite you're traveling through quite a bit of distance but actually through quite a lot of layers of atmosphere which create a, create a filter uh, and you can overcome that by blasting the signal between the two 
to mm. satellite dishes, but that in itself causes a problem. But exciting, and, and actually, Very exciting. You, you know it will so be solved because, mm. because we all need it and we all mm. want it, and, and the consumer demand is there. Mm. So it'd be interesting to see what technology wins out, or there'll be a combination, most likely. I would. I, I, mean, I, th I think, I predict that in sort of five years' time, we'll look back to this time in, in the technology calendar, uh, the technology history books, and we'll start thinking of fibre optic as, as we think about Various. music cassettes yeah. and VHS yeah. cassettes. We'll also be meeting up and saying, do you remember that bloke, Hussein, who did Uber for... for <laughs> <laughs> for skips he's really rich now do you remember him yeah, we, we will say him. that definitely definitely i'm <laughs> quite looking forward to self-driving skips yeah. autonomous oh, well, there skips there yeah, but he hasn't even thought of that have you yeah. oh you have yeah damn i was going to trademark mm. that yeah <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> um can i just move on to digital skills because i know it's something that you're i, I know it's russ is uh, obviously pioneering, but, but, but really banging the drum for the fact that we've got to have these skills uh, in, in the UK and, and uh, everywhere else too. Your thoughts on digital skills, is, is there ways in which we can really help at the moment uh, through schools and universities with what people are learning? Because we need those skills and they're going to have, I mean, of, of course we want to welcome everybody around the world here who's got great skills, but they're going to have to be homegrown to a large extent, aren't they? Yeah, and I, th I think the reason they have to be homegrown is the scale of the challenge we're facing is so huge. And, and I think, you know, we've got to stop thinking about tech businesses being this kind of cluster of coders that somehow magic up new businesses. Actually, tech businesses, every business has to be a tech business uh, in the next five to ten years. You know, the whole world is becoming digital. Uh, and those businesses that don't become digital are going to be those businesses that actually stop being able to compete. I mean, and, I'm struggling to think of any businesses that wouldn't be digital. And you think, oh, yeah, there will be some exceptions, but it's really hard to think what they would be. Mm. Mm. Uh, across the board. Well, I think, I think what's frightening, there was, some, uh, there was um, some research done by the Federation of Small Businesses uh, about 12 months ago, and it found that 20% of the UK's small businesses had uh, inadequate digital skills. And so, you know, that's a lot of small businesses yeah. that suddenly can't compete because they don't have that digital footprint within their organisation. So I think the need is tremendous. And I think we have to look at the whole education system from primary to secondary to, uh, to universities, to apprenticeships, which is kind of an area that I'm particularly interested in, and really address, you know, put uh, digital skills alongside English, as ma English and maths as those are central components to the education system. And, and by digital, you know, a business going digital, we don't mean that they're, they're going to be an app or, or they've got coders. We mean people who understand that, you know, their invoicing is going to be done digitally. We, we, you know, we had um, guests last week who were saying, this is how you do your expenses digitally. Mm. You know, this is how you run your company underneath it digitally. It's not about necessarily your external facing consumer facing product it's how you're going to survive as a business how, how you operate as a business I, I the thing that i always go back to i, w I went on a um uh, a trade uh, mission to china um back in uh, the latter part of last year and i saw um small businesses micro businesses that were fully digital so they took all their payments uh, using mobile apps they process they, their entire operations were run on their mobile phones, they use social media extensively to engage with customers, and and it was quite uh, staggering to see how advanced their small businesses were, and then Just come back to the very, UK, yeah. knowing what knowing what yeah. I know about the UK Absolutely. small business market. So, I think you know using that as a benchmark 
you know, the, the need for skills. But, is, but is how are we going to teach our children to, to have the skills that are useful when actually the teachers don't have them? You know, because because that's you know they teach history or I don't know. Yeah. You know, they're fifty years old. How are they going to teach somebody? I'm not saying. I mean, both. I'm looking at Russ here and me <laughs> in that bracket. <laughs> Thanks, but, 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 I, but what I meant is that they may have been digitally left behind themselves a little bit, and then they're, they're responsible for making sure that their, you know, their their pupils are having these skills. So it's it's really hard, isn't it, for them to understand how that's going to work? Let alone the fact that if you're teaching in a school, you may not be keeping up to date with stuff as it's happening because it's not you're not in it. Yeah. Um, so it's a real dilemma. It's a real, real issue, and I think one of the one of the one of the root problems is that the education system is very much based on completion of exams. And we don't have an education system really that is attuned to uh, the needs of the... Employability employee, yeah, would be the cool. employment market. Yeah. Um, but the, so, so young people are coming out of the education system either at secondary, secondary school level or at university level and don't really understand those essential business skills. And, and I think the, the lack of digital skills being taught in schools and universities is a reflection of, of that lack of employability skills. And something you um, feel quite strongly um, as well about, Amanda, particularly. Yeah, passionately, really. And yeah. I think that you're, I, I would take issue with that, though, because I think the young people are digitally incredibly enabled and skilled. You oh, know, I agree a, with that. You know, as a mother of a teenager and a 20-year-old, you know, it, it, and, and that's not the problem. The problem is it isn't, as you say, given the weight in the schools, uh, the schools don't have the resources. Exactly. They're yeah. not, they, they literally don't have the kit. I mean, I used to spend a lot of time in schools looking at ed tech as an issue. And you'd go into a school and they might have, you know, 10 really good PCs, but they had no software and nobody to, to maintain them and no time in the teaching day to, for the kids. And, and this to is where I think the private sector has to step in and provide the resources, provide the funding, because the, the government, you know, can't fully afford it. I mean, the Chancellor has put more money into the budget to train something like 8,000 teachers on computing, which is great. Look, look, let's applaud those things. But that's nowhere near enough what we're going to need to see. So we need big businesses, we need smaller businesses to step up and say, let's fund the teachers. The coding languages are evolving and changing. Let's make sure they're, they're skilled and they're going through Can't the we stop the exam thing? I don't understand. We're not interested in my business about whether somebody's got two A-levels and a... I, mean, I really don't care. I really, really, really don't care. I need to know whether they can turn up on time, whether they're enthusiastic, what their digital skills are. You know, it's can about they choices there, can they have a conversation too. with somebody? You know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, um, and you know, them sitting and being bored out of their head for five years learning, you know, who which king died on fourteen sixty five, and you know, I don't find it particularly helpful. It's, it's it's hard because we are so ingrained, or at least the British educational system is so ingrained in this kind of testing concept as a measure of how well are we doing. Whereas I think if you look at other educational systems around the world. You do have some societies that are doing well that have heavy testing. You have others that don't. I want to know, you know, are they great problem solvers? Can they think? Can yep. they, you know, articulate? And teaching people that, surely that's great life and that's skills. What an, that's stop. what employers are, are desperately looking yeah. for. They, they, they do want to have some of those skill sets, but they also want to know, to your point, problem solving, creative thinking, you know, good leadership skills. I'm Critical. now talking a lot about... The yeah. softer skills that we need to Critical have our young analysis. people to have, yeah. you know, can they communicate? Can they manage teams of people? This is what's on a lot of people's but I think, minds. I think Amanda's point is absolutely spot on. I think young people are coming through the education system with really, really good self-taught digital skills. Mm. So imagine what the output would be if actually we had a higher quality of digital yes. education 
overlaid on top of those self those self taught skills. And I think that's That'd be very I, exciting. I yeah, really exciting. And mm. so so on one hand, I think we've got a big problem that we've got to address. On the other, I meet lots of young people that are, have actually self taught themselves digital skills, have got channels on YouTube. Have, are excellent at social yeah. media. We shouldn't and be relying on the teachers. The children can, you know, the young yeah. people can teach each other. You know, that's what, that's peer that's learning and say, mentoring yeah. and all of those things mm. within the school environment. But as you say, you've got to release it. the space in the education system for to you to do those things. Yeah. And, and the creative stuff is leaving the curriculum and leaving school. So less arts, less music, less free time to express yourself, more concentration on you know, endlessly passing exams and being tested. Well, having to run around a hockey field. No, don't Never. do much of that because they haven't got any playing fields. Didn't really yet. like that. They've all been the freed up for building, you see, the playing fields. <laughs> <laughs> Full of self-builders with their, you know, yeah. order-on-demand order skips. Yes, that's Hussein's fault. Um, well, unbelievably, <laughs> we, uh, well, we've got to finish there. Yeah, it's harsh. Sorry about that. We've got to finish there. Um, would you believe we've run out of time? So I'd like to thank you so much, um, Hussein. Really interesting, Hussein Hilly, uh, the stuff of... Um, Butte and Scrap Thank you very well. much for having me. We're going to look out for Scrap. Thank you. It's mm, a top tip, that is, for 2019. Um, and again, thank you, Amanda Carpenter. Uh, good of you to gate crash us. <laughs> and um, Anthony could talk for ages about your stuff, okay. and, um, okay. and particularly the digital skills, which I think is, is important. Um, and Optimity, where do we go if anybody's interested in, in um, not digging the roads up and getting their broadband quick? Our website, optimity.co.uk, or Twitter, Optimity LTD. There you go, nice and easy. And everything, of course, will be on the website as usual. Um, thank you, Russ. I know you're probably dashing off to some other country that you'd like the look of in the next <laughs> couple of weeks, aren't you? Let's hope so. Mm. Um, and, and don't forget, everybody, go on to Eventbrite and look at the um, tech... Uh, global Tech Advocates, it will be, won't it? Global Tech Advocates. Well, if you go uh, on to techlondonadvocates.org.uk, um, the event for the 19th of April will be there. a link there, so definitely go to that. Um, you've been listening to the Tech Talk Show, and uh, we're syndicated to so many places, I can't be bothered to mention them all. Um, you can also listen to us via Podbean, iTunes, podcast app, and all that stuff. Thanks again to Rush Shaw for joining me. And if you want to recommend any future guests, someone doing something groundbreaking in the tech sector, please get in touch with us via Twitter on at Tech Talk Show UK. And I look forward to um, having another bunch of really lovely guests next week. See you now. <laughs>